By the time many of the Israelites returned from exile, Jerusalem had been leveled. The most painful reality was the destruction of the temple. As the people rebuilt their lives and once again their comforts, they received crucial counsel that we can embrace even today. Consider your ways. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. When I think back to a time in my life where something was restored, I'm reminded of when I was 11. I had, I had a horrible sports injury that happened and I lost my ability to walk. It was about nine months of not being able to walk and move like I always had. I had a really good friend who did something harmful, something unkind to me, and I lost my trust in that person. And um, I was able to gain it back over time and over forgiveness. I was able to forgive them, and we are still good friends today. I'll never forget the day that my friend was like, run down the hill with me. And I was like, you know I can't run. I, I was barely walking, and she said, I think you can. And it was before social media, gratefully, because the video would have probably gone viral, but I, my, my feet actually like lifted off the ground in a running motion for the first time, and I wept. I wept for a really long time because I thought for the first time, I think I can do this again. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. Today's discussion topics come from our studies from the books of Haggai and Zechariah. And the first topic we're gonna discuss is, God can restore that which was lost. And the second topic is, consider your ways. And to help us with our discussion topics today, we wanna to first welcome back one of our scholars, Sean Hopkins. Sean, welcome. Ben, good to be here. It's good to have you back. Thank you. Uh, Sean has a PhD in Hebrew studies and is an associate professor of religious education at Brigham Young University. And our special guest today seated next to Sean is Shauna Thompson. Shauna, so happy to have you here. Thank you, it's good to be here. Shauna is a local professional actress of stage and screen. In her spare time, she coaches and directs high school students in Shakespeare and musical theater. She is a wife, daughter, and friend, and the proud mother of two children who have given her four beautiful grandchildren. I just can't sit still. There you go. That's what it is. <laughs> okay, so as we get into our first topic, God can restore that which was lost. Sean, do you want to give us some background, historical context? Sure. So... Both of these prophets that we're gonna be discussing today, Haggai and Zechariah, are from right at the same time. So okay. the, the Jews were carried away by Babylon 586 BC, and now we're about 50 to 60 years later, Cyrus sends them back home, and about 50,000 come, some stay, and now we're 10 to 15 years after that, okay. um, and they've come back home, but it's difficult. Everything is demolished and destroyed, and they, they're working on life. They haven't built the temple yet. And so Haggai is known as the temple prophet often, and Haggai's gonna be the one that says, come on, let's get this temple built. Let's get this done. We see a lot of um, modern parallels as far as church history goes with you know, rebuilding, reestablishing. Uh, can you guys think of some examples that can kind of help us connect this story with what we are more familiar with? To me, it lets me know the consistency of God's people mm. and, and how they're always relocating, rebuilding, you know, sometimes driven out of places and, and gathering. I thought a lot about how often 
the saints gather together uh, to, to gain strength from one another. And that's what we do today. Mm -hmm. So from bringing it to that time to today, it's just so relatable. So I, this is going to sound funny because as you look at me, you're going to think, no, this is not a good analogy, Sean. But, you know, in, in, if you're lifting weights, uh, that's the joke. Uh, if you're lifting weights, then there's this idea of sort of muscle confusion where, where you keep things off balance so that you don't get in this groove where you stop mm -hmm. thinking or progressing or working at things. And I do think the Lord works on this. And it's hard for us. It's tricky because you get distracted. So they're in Missouri and they've got so many things going on. And the Lord's like, you need to build the temple. And if you would focus on that, these other things would they'd still be there, but they would ease some. And so we have this sort of competition for our, our, our devotion, for our attention that helps us see what our choices are gonna be. Right? I, I like that because that's, that lets me know that, that God keeping us uncomfortable yeah. all the time is actually a good thing. As we talk about restoration, there were other things besides a temple that Israel had lost. What are some of the things that they're trying to restore or bring back? Yeah, you get this sense if you go to, if we go to Haggai, um, Let's just look at chapter two, verse three. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? And we can feel that, right? When you've had sort of maybe a, a wonderful family relationship that has turned uh, challenging or sour. Mm -hmm. and, and then you look and, and then you're trying to rebuild something or have something new and you think, oh, I don't know if I can ever get back to what I was before. And they're dealing with all of that. So the loss of their political strength, the loss of their organization mm -hmm. as a community, the loss of their really religious identity. There's so much that's been pushed on and turned upside down. And, and so this comparison with Missouri and the Latter-day Saints is really significant. Well, and I even think of, you know, even on a, a softer level, if you've moved from a place mm -hmm. and then you go back and visit, you expect it to be the same. You want to see the same things and visit the same places. And when it's not, you just long for it to be what it was or to see it how it was in your in your fondest memories. So this happens to us in life. I think we have these echoes of the past that are that are nostalgic and positive in a sure. sense, but that also yeah. really sort of, wait, but this is my life now and, and I got to move forward. We go back at a wiser level. It's a mm. new us, okay. right? Um, and, and I think they're experiencing this. All right, let's learn some things from the past. Okay. And, and now we're back, but we don't want to just go back. We want to be better. And this is what Haggai is going to try to encourage them to do, I think. Okay, what about from our audience? Can you think of any examples in, in modern life of things that we at times lose that we have to try to restore or rebuild? Kelly. So unfortunately, something we can lose is our testimonies if we're not careful. I was traveling for a year, experiencing different cultures in Morocco, Brazil, Portugal, Bali, Turkey, mm. so many cool places. And I was just enthralled by all of it. And I was just curious. I was open-minded about everything but I lost a sense of my testimony. And so that just, right then and there, I was like, I gotta get back. Kelly, what would you say is the main thing that helped bring you back? I would say the spirit definitely resonated and spoke to my spirit. So I was on the train and I was reading Moroni 7 and it just hit me like a train, like on the train that I was on, how true the Book of Mormon is. And I remember thinking, wow, how did I let my testimony get that far down? Thank you so much for, for sharing that. That was awesome, great. 
So Ben, if it's okay, let me just share a few more verses here that, I mean, your story tracks Haggai, as I'm sure you were purposely doing, right? Uh, (laughs) In such beautiful ways, right? Uh, Verse four of Haggai two, yet now be strong, uh, saith the Lord, be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts of this, the spirit makes things alive. And then if we look at verse nine, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. In this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. It's not, oh, we lost it and we can't get it back. There is some, in in a sense, some truth that that's because it's better uh, on the other side. There's a lot of things in life that, that cause us to have to reflect and rebuild. Any examples that you can think of that really have helped you in your own life to, re, to have to kind of regroup and rebuild from a place that can seem, as the Israelites, kind of devastating? For, for me, I mean, our family went through it just what felt like a total, our family just was laid waste after we lost our son. He died of a, of a drug overdose. And, you know, that in itself was so difficult, even though there were signs that that was coming, but it just never, you're never prepared to lose a child. And and losing him, and he had two children with two different mothers, and, you know, so we had them to manage as well afterwards, and our daughter got a divorce not long after he died, and I felt like it was one hit after the next, and I felt like our family had just been hit with so many 100-foot waves, and it felt like one thing was rolling out after the next, and they weren't good things. And I remember, you know, finding myself in the corner of my bedroom, just feeling like I just can't take anymore. I, I can't. I can't manage any more people. I can't even manage my own emotions and this this sense of loss. And I felt like there were days when only <laughs> sorry, there was only him in the room with me. You know, Heavenly Father and the Savior in the room with me holding me together for that day. And, and of course now it's been five years and, and we're rebuilding and we're finding joy and lots of other things have happened in our lives that have been hard and that will never stop. Mm-hmm. That's a constant flow. But, I, but at the same time, I feel, I feel him in, in the details. What are some things that we can do as we're going through these moments to invite him in who really is the one who, can, who does all the healing, who helps us to rebuild? I, I think for me, you know, it was a it was a conscious thing of I'm not feeling joy anymore, and I, and I am a joyful person, and I felt like I'd sort of lost myself somewhere in there, and I knew there was no way around it. It's just through it. I just finally had the presence of mind to go to Heavenly Father and just say, I need you to show me joy, because I'm not feeling it at all, and I miss it, and and it it was just this sweeping in of just opening my eyes even to just things like a blue sky or i called it my snow white moment where it was just kind of like oh the birds and you know it was just <laughs> that moment of seeing that god was ever present and he'd never left me and he and the joy was there i just needed to ask to see it and then it and then it came and it and it just kept rolling in and and that was very that was very comforting at that time to just know to just look at the little things and see god's hand in in, in everything every day and that he hadn't gone anywhere. Just me, I'd, I'd gone somewhere for a while. This whole talk of destruction and, and rubble, I relate to that. And then the rebuilding into something better and new. And we, we're better, we're better as a family and closer and have much more uh, perspective than we did when we first lost him. Thank you, Shauna. Well, we had a, a question coming from one of our viewers that really 
it's it speaks to what we've been talking about today. And I'd love to get your thoughts. I'd love to hear from the audience on uh, what our viewer has to say. Hi, I'm Andrea from Midway, Utah. In this chapter from Come Follow Me, I was intrigued by the phrase spiritually in ruins when they talked about not only was the temple in ruins, but the people were spiritually in ruins. And it made me think about our day and age. And when we have friends and family or ourselves that spiritually are in ruins, how do we help them feel comfortable coming back to Jerusalem or coming back to the church? So we're kind of making a shift. We're changing a little bit from, you know, how do we rebuild to what our viewers ask is how do we help someone else who is in spiritual ruin come back to Jerusalem? Preston. I think just inviting them to like family scriptures or church just so they can feel like they have a firm foundation before they start trying to get back to their normal life. Mm. That's great advice, Preston. I hope that you're able to it's use that insightful. advice to help somebody else. And we had another comment from Benita. I think unconditional love is really important. Just helping them feel accepted and genuinely loved and cared about. I feel like it's, it's not our place to judge or to push. Um, sometimes people need their space and they need time. And if they just feel that we're genuine about how we love them and accept them, that light will hopefully radiate to them and they will want that back. Benita, do you feel like somebody has shown you that same kind of love when you've been through, you know, some spiritual low moments? Yes, actually, my, my dear mother, who's here today, um, she is the greatest example to me. And when I was a teenager, I went through a hard time, um, grew up with the wrong kind of crowd, and she helped me by her example. And I just love her and her light. She just had that light that I wanted. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. Ben, can I add an amen to that really quick? I, I, I love that you brought that up because um, having, having lo lost a child, um, I remember in the months leading up to his passing, um, Heavenly Father was really, really direct with my husband and I on how we should treat him because sometimes he would come into the home really high and, and, and having stolen things. And I, I think the tendency for us as parents was to cast him out and his spirit was very direct about, about no, you keep that door open. And when he's there, you welcome him in and you hug him and you love him and don't look at the other things. And then when he passed, that was the only thing I held on to was the way that we treated him wow. in the months leading up to his passing. Because, you know, after they pass, the bad things go away in time and you're left with the really good things and the good qualities of them and the good memories. And to have that tacked on to all of those memories and knowing that we welcomed him every time in, in whatever state he showed up in, he knew that our door was open. That is the most valuable gem of that horrible time. Someone shared a quote with me in a difficult time uh, from Elder Worthland. And it's one of those small things that I don't know if they realize the impact it had, but I actually printed it off and it's hanging up my office and I look at it every day. And uh, it comes from a wonderful talk from uh, Elder Joseph B. Worthland. He said, the Lord compensates the faithful for every loss. That which is taken away from those who love the Lord will be added unto them in his own way. 
While it may not come at the time we desire, the faithful will know that every tear today will eventually be returned a hundredfold with tears of rejoicing and gratitude. I read that quote and, and I, I just, all I could think of was, I'm counting on it. I'm, I'm counting on it. I, I don't have much more to say other than that, okay, if, a, if an apostle of the Lord says it's true, then I'm going to hold him to that and I'm going I'm to wait for that, that time. Well, thank you, Shauna. This has been really a, a touching uh, discussion. And, uh, and we'll talk about more about some things in footnotes as we get there. But thanks for contributing. Thanks for sharing so much of your personal life as we talk about our first topic, God can restore that which was lost. It can be difficult at times to, to align our priorities with God's and to um, have trust that what He wants for us is also what we want for ourselves. Um, there have definitely been times like when my husband was applying to law school and we weren't sure where we were gonna move to. I definitely struggled with knowing whether or not where we were gonna end up was gonna be the right place. And I didn't always feel like the things that I wanted were necessarily working out. But I realized that ultimately God's priority for us was uh, to put us where we ended up being, and it ended up turning out to be a really good situation for us. And I was able to realize that sometimes he's a little smarter than I am. <laughs> the second topic we're going to discuss now is consider your ways. Uh, Sean, where does this phrase come from, and why are we talking about it with within this context? Yeah, so Haggai chapter 1 is sort of where we're going to sit here uh, with this part of the discussion. And um, he, he repeats it uh, at least a couple of times here. So if you look at chapter one, verse five, now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And then verse seven, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And I like this, it's not, it's not aggressive, right? It's not, you're, you're bad. He says, consider your ways. So here's what's going on. They are back and they're supposed to be building the temple. And you can sort of think of this Missouri time frame again, if, if we're going to compare it to okay. the latter days, um, where there's so much going on and they're trying to rebuild and they need homes to sleep in, but then they start making their homes a little bit nicer and nicer. <laughs> and, and it talks, I love this story. Yeah, yeah. Because it. it feels so real, it right? It feels modern. And, and God isn't like, hey, I reject you. He says, Think about this, think about this. And, and so he's, he's calling them back. This temple prophet Haggai is saying, you've forgotten to put first things first. You've gotten distracted. Yeah. Right? So. Shauna, so you like this a lot. I do. So I do. Like, let's bring this back home a little bit. What are some examples where, because one of the things they mentioned is uh, the sealed houses, right? They're building their roofs and they're going a little... I don't know, maybe they're, they're getting a little extravagant. They got some paneling they're, on they're them. They're putting some yeah, bling yeah, on yeah, their Yeah, yeah. right. They've fancy. gotten to the stage where they're like, I'm gonna, I want guests to come over, you know, and, and I want this to look good. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. And yeah. it's not like these are bad things, right? Right. You know, these are things that's like, hey, just think about what you're doing. Are you making the best use of your time or resources? And are they distracting you from the Lord? Okay, what about from our audience? How have you considered ways in which you can reflect on the best value uh, of your time. Annalise. Um, I think I've tried a little bit of everything. I've tried to-do lists and reminders and whatnot, and it's just kind of not ever worked. Um, but I did find, um, I got on an email list from the church website. 
um, and it cool. sends you a daily scripture um, and theme for that day. And I think that's really helped me the last that is week. Perfect. Yeah, what a great use of resource and how yeah. to use what's what we're familiar with to help us stay focused. Great mm -hmm. thoughts. Thank you so much. We do get distracted from some of the things in life that okay. you know uh, that aren't bad. These are there's a lot of good things. Uh, Sean, what are some of your thoughts? Well, so look at this fascinating thing. Once again, how relevant these. I mean, two thousand plus years old, right? And how relevant this is for our day right now. So look at what he does in verse six, because here's what's happening. So they were supposed to focus on the temple, but um, things have shifted on them, right? Their priorities now <laughs> aren't in line. <laughs> Their priorities aren't in line. And, and I love that he just says, as, as Shauna was talking about, consider it, pause, think, don't be purposeful. And, and then he says, you've sown a lot, but you just brought in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it in a bag with oh, holes. holes. Yeah. That is so Wasted good. So uh, you were talking earlier about the great imagery of the Old Testament. This is yeah. so true. This idea that Jacob 2 in the Book of Mormon put the kingdom of God first and all these things will be added unto you, but you're you're running and running and running. And I, you know, all of us have to figure out how to live in this technologically advanced world. I agree. So I found myself thinking, it's okay for me to just binge watch something <laughs> and then think, wow, I just wasted three right. hours, four hours, six hours, I don't know. <laughs> but, but why did I do that when I could have spent it doing so many other great things? And I think, you know, there's a time for video games. There's a time to watch a movie. We can mm -hmm. have those things. This really spoke to me about how are you using your time wisely and what are you dedicating it to? And so what I found is, is I'm going to Heavenly Father now and saying, could you please help me fill my days? I have this image of a world bowed down under the weight of these technological blessings. And mm -hmm. he's saying, I I'm just trying to free you because it's emotionally healthy to put first things first. So otherwise you'll have these diminishing returns yes. as you run pell-mell after these things yes. and it'll satisfy less and less and less. And how about from you all? Is there anything that you have found uh, has helped you find that balance in your life? Missy. I actually work at a preschool that's part of a Presbyterian church. And as part of our training, they wanted us to incorporate daily worship. And when I first heard that, I was like, oh my goodness, it's hard enough just to, you know, stay on top of the basic needs of the kids. How are we going to incorporate that? And um, the director was like, you know, the important thing is to remember you can in include worship in the smallest ways. So she's like, if you're out on the playground with the kids and you're pointing out the beautiful trees, then you can say, aren't we so lucky to live in such a beautiful world? And that can check it off the list for you. You've, you've done really your daily cool. worship. So Missy, how has that affected your personal testimony of the Savior? Um, I guess it just really helps me to realize that I can be aware of Christ and be more centered on Christ in small ways in my life. Um, I have used that with my own kids, like when we're just driving along and I can say, look at that beautiful sunset. Isn't that a beautiful gift from God? Um, it just helps us to kind of reaffirm that God is in our lives and recognize the blessings that we're given. And that God is in every aspect of our life. That's a yeah. really great example. Thanks, Missy, for sharing that with us. Yeah. 
Have you guys found anything that you do where you can kind of like, okay, while I'm doing this, I can also do this to help keep that prioritizing and, and balance in line? This is maybe uh, a little silly, but when I'm doing the dishes, I like to think about my family while I'm doing the dishes because I'm doing the dishes because I love my family. <laughs> and, and it changes doing the dishes for me. Like, I, I, I love doing the dishes because I'm thinking about my wife and my kids. And, I'm, and so that kind of multitasking where there's some, I'm trying to say, what are my motivations? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I, I'm more connected to my family. I feel more connected even though I'm doing the dishes. You know? So that, that might be an no, example. That's, yeah, that's great. For me, the car has been one of the best sacramental moments yeah. for me ever. Yeah, that's why it provides great. me this space where I can talk to Heavenly Father and get real with Him, and it feels like a real conversation. Sometimes I'll listen to my scriptures rather than read them if I'm, if I'm heading somewhere where I'm driving a long ways. I'll put in some kind of spiritual podcast. That has enriched that time for me and made it really exciting where I'm thinking, I'm gonna to talk to Heavenly Father right now. I had these things I wanna say and, and it's just made it, a, a, it's colored it for me. And I really think that's what the focus is, what, you know, what Haggai is, is, is preaching with the Lord, the message the Lord's trying to give to Israelites is we have to get realigned in those moments when we find ourselves off a little bit. I would love to hear from the audience, just in general, what are some thoughts that you have um, as we've been talking about uh, our second topic? Mm. Amy. I work with those who are incarcerated, and we talk about what got them there, and so often it's this unintentional action of doing things, but not really considering what direction they're going or what that's gonna cause, right? And our first step is consider your ways. What can you intentionally do? And I think when we take time to pause and say, why am I doing the things I'm doing? What direction am I pointing towards? I think it begins with intention, which is what I, I hear in these verses right here. And Amy, how do you take that same principle uh, and apply it within the walls of your own home with your own children? I have four teens and we are on the go all the time. And so it's being intentional with our mornings and intentional with our evenings, right? When we recap and we come back in the home. And so starting off with the key things like the, the scripture study, the family prayer, um, circling around the dinner table at night and, and going over our highs and lows and our successes and our failures, right? And then um, turning back to God before we, before we go to bed again. It's just grounding those grounding principles of making sure our priorities are in the right place and we're with the right people. Amy, thank you so much for your comments. It really does fit so well into what we've been discussing about trying to find balance and, and prioritize our lives. Any final thoughts for us, Sean? So just maybe just one last thought, and, and that is here we are with all these beautiful Christmas decorations around. There's a lot of prophecies about Christ in the book of Zechariah that we haven't talked about. So let's let's spend a lot of time on that in footnotes, if that's okay. And we'll, we'll zero in on those prophecies of Christ because it's not just New Testament, right? The biblical prophets of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament were focused in as well. So Absolutely, let's do it. Thank you so much for all of your comments. This has been a really wonderful and uplifting discussion. On our second topic, consider your ways. Something I've learned and that I'm taking with me from this discussion today is how can I personally help others who may be struggling spiritually or may be in spiritual ruins, as we talked about? Um, I feel like we need to love them unconditionally 
and, and pray for them, that they'll have the desire to want to come back spiritually. What I'm gonna use from this discussion today is to be intentional with my life, to be intentional with how I spend my time and how I prioritize what is important to me. Intentionally balancing and doing the things that matter. And I think that is a lot to take in because there is so much out there that we could be doing with our time. But, and just knowing that I'm doing my best and taking peace and comfort in that as well and not being too hard on myself. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. All right, guys, I'm really excited. I love when we have props to work <laughs> with. And um, we've had some really good discussions, uh, you know, in the previous part of the episode. And one of the things that I, I want to address is something that you brought up uh, with prioritizing as we've been talking about how, you know, to bring that balance, we have to figure out and align things in our lives. So we have this object lesson that, that I love. I think it's great. And I'm excited to, to show this as an illustration of how this principle works of putting the most important things, you know, as we consider our ways, right? What are the most important things that we need to consider putting first in our lives? And they're sort of running after these things. Instead of coming into the Lord first, they're running after, you're paneling your house. Okay, but. That's not know. a bad thing, however. Paneling yeah. the house. Yeah. That, there we go. It is. The objects. seal. <laughs> no, but don't, don't you think that this is, I mean, let's be honest, this is the typical human. Oh, yeah. Right? This is where we we get to this place a lot, right? Absolutely. So if we're going to label these rocks, we have the fine sand at the bottom from a, as far as levels of importance, least important up to most important as far as the, the big rocks. These are things that we have to have in our life. So you notice when we put in the small things first, when those, when we binge watch is the most. <laughs> I was thinking pedicures. Oh yeah, pedicures. There right. we go. That's my pedicure down there at the bottom. <laughs> so maybe these are the nice but not necessaries. These are the nice, just make sure you timing-wise, you do it right, and these are the have-tos. Mm -hmm. Well, when you start with putting things that don't matter first, when those become your priority, then you're not gonna have room to fit everything in your life, you know, if we're trying to close it up, then things aren't just gonna, some of these things are gonna fall out, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and let me just mention, this is stressful. This is a stressful way to live life because you know that the things that are most, your relationships, your sense of peace, mm -hmm. your sense of uh, stability, you you lose it over time. And mm -hmm. so you, you, you start with all these small things and things that it's not just, hey, you need to do these things to be a good person. No, right. this is what you need to do to have emotional well-being, to be a stable, steady human being, right? I like that. And nobody likes to walk around knowing that their priorities aren't straight. Nobody like likes, it's yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's burdensome. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, if you're focusing on, if my first thing of the day is I'm gonna, you know, do this that distracts me, then, you know, maybe I stop reading my scriptures mm -hmm. or maybe I spend less time with my kids or yeah. strengthen the relationship with my wife. So if you're really trying to manage your life well, unfortunately, something you're gonna have to, to go out of line. Sure. So the beauty about this object lesson is that all of these rocks can fit in this jar, but we have to reprioritize something. So if we take these big rocks. We're just gonna watch you do this incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Have at it, Ben. Oh, I appreciate that. So that way, if it goes wrong, then I get all the blame for <laughs> the it. The grueling labor. Yes. Okay, so again, these are a representation of all the good things that we have to have in our lives and that we absolutely need to make room for. And so then, I'll just pour that aside, all those little things. 
So now what we're gonna do is we're gonna put the most important things first. And I don't know, give me, throw me out some things that these could represent in our lives. Family. I mean, taking time to call somebody that yeah. you haven't seen in a while. Yeah, following promptings. I love um, it. Going to a temple. Yeah. Stopping you know? to talk and actually be connected to someone, right? Getting yeah. off your phone. <laughs> okay, so now those are the things that go in first. So now, once you've prioritized and you've made this the most important part of your life, we can add in some of those things. You can see some of these, these smaller rocks. Kind of slid down. They slide down. And they can be a part of those good things. And if you notice, look at it all, it all fits. You know, we can- Look at that. He's a magic man. Your life is in balance now, right? And it's just, I think it's just a wonderful illustration to show that this is a, uh, when we're trying to consider our ways, let's consider the, the priorities in our lives. And do we need to kind of flip things around because there is room for all of that. We always talk about in, in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, foundation. Mm. You know, and you look at the, we were talking Give earlier about ballast. how burdensome the yeah, other yeah, yeah. way feels, but to have, to have the weight there at the mm. bottom to ground you, that's, that's a so foundation. Great. And, and I would also add, we didn't lose a thing here. So that life that you want to live, here it is. You can have yeah. that. Here you it can is, but it's stable and steady with the ballast, like you're saying, I love that, at the bottom. And what if some of the sand hadn't fit in and it needs to drop out? There might be some things that need to drop out. Yeah. And so do we lose anything for that? Uh, and, and we don't, right? Yeah. Then we can live these steady lives and, and move forward. I love it. I love these illustrations. You know, you hopefully they stick in your brain. You're like, okay, <laughs> as I'm considering my ways, why do I need to shift around? <laughs> Okay, so we have, uh, Sean, you have, I'm excited to hear from you well, and what you can teach us. Well, it was just this, you know how when you're, you're in the scriptures and little, little tiny thoughts come to you, and as I was reading through this section for Come Follow Me, I started to notice just a lot of words that start with R-E, and we use a lot of R-E words in, in, in our gospel. Um, I wrote a few down, restore, rebuild, realignment redeem, reuse, reevaluate, remember, resurrection, replenish. And, um, and, and I, thought, I thought, what does the RE mean? I mean, it means, it means building again. What a positive, hopeful message those words send. And then I thought of the antithesis of that, which is words that start with D-E, which is, you know, destroy, destruction, dehumanize, decompose, devalue, death, yeah. all of those things that start with DE are things that destroy. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was really interesting that so much of this had to do with the RE words. And, and so I, it, it felt very hopeful to me to read these chapters. Love it. You know, they say that uh, seminary teachers are the best thieves. And I can <laughs> you tell you right it? now, I'm totally still. <laughs> I'm totally gonna still, I love that. And That's I never so thought right. about that. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Here we are in this beautiful set. Isn't this awesome? Yeah. I love it. Christmas. This wonderful Christmas setting, and uh, we had talked about it, the, how much focus is centered around Christ. Can we just dig in for a little bit and yeah. just really talk about this? So let, let's do, um, and let me just uh, share one of the things that happens, uh, for those of you who are familiar with some of the prophecies in Zechariah, we as Christians and as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we 
find these verses and we're like, oh, I see it. But then we sort of look around, we're like, I don't know how I get that out of that, but I can see in that one verse. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it might be nice to walk through a few of these and provide some context and that kind of thing. And then we can reflect on yeah. what these prophecies mean for us at, at Christmas time and, and throughout the year, of Very course. Cool. Let's do it. So the first thing maybe that I'll say is that the book of Zechariah has a lot of what is known as apocalyptic literature. Mm -hmm. So what, what that means is that it's focused on future things, end times, and it's designed to prophetically look to the future to comfort those who are working through challenges mm, okay. in the present. And sometimes they're really hard. It's hard to understand. There's a lot of imagery that's used there. The yes. book of Revelation is known as the apocalypse, right? Okay. Uh, maybe you can clarify. I, I always, like, whenever I think of the word apocalyptic, it's always like doom and gloom. Yeah. Is that not Destruction, necessarily? Yeah. chaos. One yeah. of those D-E well, words. And, and <laughs> exactly. if you go to Zechariah, uh, towards the end of Zechariah, you're going to get a lot of chapter 14, a lot of uh, Armageddon mm -hmm. battle okay. mm -hmm. imagery. So it is that... It's that destruction that leads up to then the coming of Christ and the redemption that comes when, okay. when Christ arrives. And so you do get some of these strong images of conflict that then is resolved because God is more powerful, sure, right? Okay. God is overall. Yeah. He's sovereign. So the other thing I would add that's sort of fun that may help is that, uh, and you get this in Zechariah, for example, uh, chapter 4, look at verse 5 of Zechariah, he's got an angelic guide. Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, no, my Lord. Now as a Latter-day Saint, what are we, th we're thinking Nephi's vision in the Book of Mormon when he's got this angelic guide. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that means? I don't know what, I don't that, know means. what that means. And, he, and he's teaching others this back and forth conversation. So this is the same kind of thing. So Nephi's vision in the Book of Mormon is uh, has a lot of attributes of apocalyptic mm. literature. So that. with that then, as we come into, let's, let's skip to Zechariah chapter nine. Chapters one through six or more, this is what's going on right now. Let me comfort you right now. And then he starts to move future. And there's this really powerful in chapter nine, verse nine. <gasps> I have it underlined. I just want to know. <laughs> I think <laughs> that make you feel good. Shauna told me yes, we yes. should do this verse, right? <laughs> um, so rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. We may not be as familiar with our Old Testament to know that this is the way Solomon, who is a type of Christ, his name in Hebrew is Shlomo, his peace is what it means, and he comes in on a donkey. So this is the idea is that this is this peaceful entry into a city of someone who's been crowned king, and he's, he's coming in to take that which is rightfully his. Mm -hmm. He's not taking it by war, he's taking it uh, through peace and the people are welcoming him joyously in. And this is, of course, what we see happening when Christ comes in. So this messianic prophecy, and this has been understood as a messianic prophecy by almost all biblical readers. And, and they would, I, you know, if they're not Christian, they would identify different people that maybe that is mm -hmm. connecting with and referring mm -hmm. to. For us as Christians, of course, immediately, this beautiful image of Christ, the, the humble one, the peaceful one, the king of peace coming into Jerusalem. I think that we're always, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to always speak of Christ and talk of Christ and learn of Christ and look to Christ and, and, and all of those things. And I think that we always feel his peace around Christmas time. But as I was reading these, I was thinking, we can have that Christmas thing every day. I know that sounds really cheesy, but I thought we have access to that peaceful, mm -hmm. beautiful feeling where and we sing about the good Lord enters in. Why can't 
we can feel that. We have access to that Christmassy feeling of Christ's peace all year long. Mm, yeah. We just have to prioritize and access. You got to do the sand rocks and yeah. little rocks. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. You know what I love about this story and the the triumphal entry, mm. right? He's he's making this triumphal entry uh, on a donkey, right? Yeah. And the thought that I had was, as because we, we had mentioned it earlier, of this idea of letting him in. Mm-hmm. How we have to let him into our lives if we're going to rebuild, if we're going to heal. That takes a lot of humility. So this is image of, of Christ coming in so humbly, you know, and as, as individuals, it takes a lot of humility to admit, you know, I need somebody mm-hmm. to, to help me. I need somebody uh, to, to change me. And so that's the beautiful image that I get when mm. I when I read this. I love that. He never imposes himself upon yeah. us. It's Ooh. always us yeah. being us having to allow him mm-hmm. to to enter in. So I think that that's a beautiful type. All right. So, we could uh, move to our next one. Yeah. Let's yeah. go to Zechariah 11. There's so many here. Uh, verses 12 through 13. And I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Sean, can you, t- can you explain to me what I was prized at of them I, I was means? I was priced at. I was, I was valued. 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 Yeah. Okay, I was okay. valued at 30 pieces of silver, which, by the way, is we, we find out in, let's see, let me give you the right reference here, in Exodus 21, verse 32, that's the price of a slave. Mm. So he's not saying, oh, you value me a lot. He's saying, ah, I'm the price of a slave. This high, It's sarcastic, right? It's okay, ironic. Yeah, oh, this right. high price you valued me at, and it's taken its cast in the temple. Well, now, of course, we as Christians are hearing very clear echoes, or it's pointing to this moment when Judas is going to betray sure. the Lord, and he does it for the 30 pieces of silver, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's tossed. He, he feels guilt. He tosses it in the temple, and they go and buy a potter's field. He is talking about a good shepherd who is then rejected by the people. So then, of course, you then come as a Christian to the New Testament, and and they trade the shepherd of the universe, the loving one, the one who carries you in his arms for a shepherd who will drive you. There's just so much that's rich when you Mm. dig into the the biblical context. And how often do we do that, right? How often do we trade out that good shepherd for... You know, and it kind of right, and then and then we you know accept a new shepherd, and we are driven in yes. a sense of you know for so many in so many different parts of our lives we can be driven, you know, by temptation, by addiction, by whatever it is that is pulling us away because we have kind of hitched our wagon to something other than you know going back to the the res versus the des mm-hmm. it makes me think of if i can tell a personal story you know when our, when our son was alive and struggling with 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 drug addiction um he 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 was just so far gone that we felt like we'll never know our son again we'll never have him back again there was never a time when he was sober and he went in and out of jail like 14 times before he passed away and and with each time it was interesting how it got easier to have him there. At first, it was devastating. It was so hard to go to jail and see him there. And then in time, we realized that we were giving our son back for a while because he would sober up okay. and we'd get our son back. And what he would always do is he'd always turn back to 
the scriptures and to the gospel. And you hear that a lot with, with inmates, but I think it was a, a great gift for us to hold on to for years to come after his yeah. passing because it made us realize that it did matter, that, that all of our efforts as parents in trying to do the good things, it, it may not have given us the outcome we wanted, but it did matter, and he always came back to it. He always came unto himself again, like we talk about in The Prodigal Son, yeah. came unto himself again and would go back to and cling to the things that he knew were truthful, that now that he had a clear mind, he could, he could understand and embrace again. And, and the gospel of Jesus Christ itself has given it so much more hope in just knowing, okay, I'm gonna miss him. I'm gonna miss him a lot here, but I'm gonna get to see him again and I'll get to see him progress. And, and God is just so merciful to just give us chance after chance. And that's through the Savior. That's yeah. through the Savior, Jesus Christ, so. All right, so we ready for the next one? Yeah. Should we move to the next one? Yeah. All right, so we're gonna go Zechariah 12, nine through 10 and Zechariah 13, six. And, uh, you know, I, I can read these, or if somebody else wants to read, um, shall Shana, I just... Shana, you want to go read sure. one? And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitant of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Oof, okay. Right, this is really okay. good stuff. And let's go ahead and read chapter 13, verse six. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So let's say you're, you're not Christian and you don't, you're just reading the text without sort of a Christian sense of it. It looks like what Zechariah is saying in this apocalyptic literature, he's describing when Jehovah, when Yahweh has been pierced by rebellion of his people. And may, they're like, well, is there some intermediary that's maybe been pierced on behalf of Yahweh? How do you actually pierce God, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a Christian, right, I mean, to have Jehovah, who has been pierced by our rebellion, and you look and you realize that you did that to your God, wow. and it changes you to recognize. And, and so the, the great Book of Mormon prophetic uh, desire to have us see and know and come to Christ, you see it here, this prophecy of there's gonna come a time when those who have rejected the Messiah will recognize that's the pierced one. That's Jehovah who is pierced. That's God who we rebelled against, and they will mourn at that time. By the way, there's another R-E word, recognize. Oh, good. Just thought I'd point that out. Right so. and, then, and then if we go, it's a little bit of a different context, actually. It's sort of interesting in chapter 13, verse 6, where then it's now they are accusing someone of being a false prophet. And so, and they wound him, they stab him because he, they've accused him of being a liar, of being mm -hmm. a false prophet. And if you think again of Christ and the way that um, he was accused, I mean, right on the cross, if you're really who you say you are, come down. Mm -hmm. and, and so he says, well, and then they see, well, where did you get these wounds from? Well, I got these in the house of my friends. I got these in the house of my family are the ones who gave these to me. It, it is so meaningful, I think, to us as members of the church and as Christians to know that God 
as you've said a number of times, meets us where we are. He understands woundedness. He understands betrayal. And then there'll come a time when we look on him and our hearts are just broken. And it, but then he gives us new hearts, right? Yeah. I was thinking, sort of pondering over some of the, some of the parts that, I, that I've been able to play of women in the scriptures or in church history. And I've played Eve on stage mm. and, and then, you know, Mary, the mother of Christ, a couple of times. Those are fairly meaningful and, uh, yeah. and Emma, roles. And, and in the Book of Mormon videos, you know, playing Ishmael's wife and just thinking about all of these women mm -hmm. at different parts of scripture have all completely experienced destruction and just or 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 loss of their children or right. wayward children that they'll never see again and and uh, I I just think it's been so so cool to sort of tie that into the savior's purpose and promise of we've got these beautiful scriptures here to read of, of different characters in the scriptures that have gone through what we're going through. And I think about Emma and, and you know, just all the sadness and, and the loss. And sometimes you, when you lose so much, you feel kind of like Heavenly Father is a taker. And, and then the Savior sweeps in and says, no, no, you know, everything will be restored and, 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 and reunited and given back to you. And, and so I just think, gosh, I'm in such good company if I'm talking about just the women alone mm -hmm. of, of church history and the, and the, you know, the scriptures of old and new. Um, how humbling that is to think, okay, there, there are those that came before me that understand exactly what I've been through and, and to be able to play them and feel them. I remember being on the Book of Mormon set and feeling her, and she doesn't even have a name in the Book of Mormon, but they gave her one, but I just felt, I felt her with mm -hmm. me and thought, what important work to, to just be able to study scriptures and then be able to know that there are others that went before us that understand. And then there's a savior that just seals it all up and brings it together, all of our pain. This is the God whose heart, as Elder Maxwell put it, whose heart breaks for us, right? Whose heart broke. And then I think sitting in sacrament meeting and this is not a leave your problems at the door kind of a situation. This is come with your broken heart and your dreams that didn't turn out the way that you thought they were going to and the person who maybe, you, you know, you thought there was going to be a different kind of relationship than there, whatever, you know. And in ancient times, you'd bring your lamb, you'd bring the lamb. But of course, Jesus has is the lamb and has provided that. So the sacrament, the broken emblems of his body and, and his blood are there on the sacrament table. But we also have to bring our offering of the broken heart and you place it there and our broken heart meets his broken heart and we know that his heart, that he's resurrected and exalted and glorified and through his power then we're transformed and healed. And this is I think why this prophetic Jehovah the pierced God, right, uh, is so powerful. There is nothing more powerful to me than the image of Christ. It, it, it's a healing, powerful, comforting image. And, and when people say, oh, Christianity, it's about rules. And I'm like, well, you don't understand yeah. the God that we worship. Uh, he meets us where we are. Um, there's one final one. We won't go there. I'll just mention it. Chapter 14, verse 4, when then this messianic figure steps on the Mount of Olives and they're cleaved in twain. And so he's a triumphant God, right? That's chapter 14, verse 4. And he remembers his people, the Israelites, the Jews. And, and you have um, 
the the Doctrine and Covenants, it, for those who are sort of wanting to trace this through, go read Doctrine and Covenants 45, 47 through 53, and you see how that plays out in prophecies uh, of the second coming. So the wounded God, triumphant, and his people reunited with him, and the, the pain, there's mourning, but then that, it's a sweet mourning that washes the tears away. I remember one time we uh, we were on set and I wasn't I wasn't on camera at that time and so I was sort of walked away and was checking my phone and in Goshen they have the the three crosses there so so we sort of stepped away from the Book of Mormon stuff and I thought I'm going to go sit over here for a while by these crosses and uh, I got news I got word uh, through my, through my phone that uh, this woman that I knew had just lost her third boy to a drug overdose and the, she only had three and this was now her third one she'd lost and. He grew up with Chase and, you know, they just, it was messy. And, and I remember just needing to be at the, I needed to, I wanted to be at the crosses. Mm -hmm. And so I just sat there sobbing, just sobbing for this woman's pain and thinking I've been through it once, but this is three. And, and uh, my, my friend um, had kind of sneakily <laughs> taken a picture of me sitting there in my, Book of Mormon garb, just sobbing with my face in my hands on this rock. And that is the best thing that I, I got from that, that experience was just somebody having the fortitude. And he, he kind of checked with me later on and said, I took a picture, but it was so right for me. And when he showed it to me and he edited it and made it so beautiful for me, I just thought, that is it. That's the thing. That's the thing, those crosses, that all that symbolism and me crying there, that's the thing that's going to bring me through this. That's the thing that's going to, that, that galvanizes me to my son. And, and that's the thing that's going to take this pain, hopefully lift that mother to, to, to walk through her Gethsemane, which is long and hard. And, and I just gained such a new newfound love and respect for the purpose of the Savior in his life and his death and his resurrection and all those things to just know that it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And for now, he's going to let me be in the space I'm at and he'll, he'll be patient with me. But, but in the end, it's, it's going to be okay. Just like Elder Worthland said, it'll, it'll be okay and I'll be compensated for that. And so will this mother. Uh, I, I feel like I just want to go and just do good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it just feels good. Uh, I'm so grateful for both of you just being willing to share a little bit of who you are, you know, as we've talked about some really, really good topics. You know, God can restore that which was lost and consider your ways. And I definitely am going to consider some of my ways moving forward. So Me thank too. you both for being here with your busy schedules. It means a lot that you would take some time out of your day to, to spend with us. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us. We want to invite you and remind you, especially during this Christmas season, to pay attention to that still small voice and see if you can consider some ways in which you can focus more on the Savior throughout this time of year. Thanks again, and please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 